Live from New York, I'm Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Rotation reversal, tech stocks soar as the March market madness continues. To 100 million and beyond, the Disney Plus subscriber success story accelerates. And Palace Privacy, the royal family's interview response, generates more questions than answers. It's Wednesday. Let's make a move. Welcome once again to First Move. Fantastic to have you with us on a very busy Wednesday where we expect the U.S. House to sign off on more stimulus. Tech is on the recovery rotation rebound and a meme-worthy gaming stock. No, not the one you're thinking of. I know, not GameStop goes public. I'm talking about online gaming firm Roblox, a lockdown lifeline for tens of millions of children this past year. That will be listing today on the New York Stock Exchange. And oh boy, what a moment to do it after tech's turnaround Tuesday. The Nasdaq rising 3.6%, its best day in fact, in four months, bouncing out of correction territory with extreme gusto. Recent recovery stocks in the energy and the financial sector losing ground at the same time. We're actually up, as you can see, pre-market at the moment too. As we've mentioned many times over the last several weeks, Tema Treasury yields are key to this story as well. The 10-year yield back down to 1.55%, as you can see there, after the Treasury successfully borrowed billions of dollars yesterday. But keep an eye on the economic data too. Bond investors are going to remain highly sensitive to things like today's inflation numbers and no worries just yet. A rise of 0.4% in February, mostly because of higher gas prices. So when we look at core inflation, the number that strips out energy and food aspects like this, that was actually softer than expected, a 0.1% rise. So no worries there for now. Good news on growth too. Morgan Stanley raising its US growth forecast to 7.3% in 2021, fueled by fresh stimulus spending. And it's coming soon. The U.S. House of Representatives debating the $1.9 trillion COVID aid package this hour, paving the way for a final vote later today. President Biden set to sign that bill soon after. And that is where we begin the drivers. John Harwood joins me now. John, great to have you with us. We were calling it a virtual done deal yesterday. It's procedural today. As important as the politics of who agrees to this and who doesn't is, I actually want to talk about the most important aspect, which is when do people get their hands on the money? Uh, I think it's going to be uh, a matter of days, uh, maybe uh, a week or two. Uh, This is a situation where when the uh, Treasury Department has uh, uh, bank account information for, or when the IRS has bank account information for people, which uh, they use to uh, receive their refunds, that's going to be uh, expedited. And there's other payment information that other government agencies have, uh, uh, bank interactions with other agencies. All of those are going to speed um, uh, delivery to those people, people who have not had those kind of interactions, whose bank information is not uh, 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 residing within government agencies. They will get a physical check. That'll take a longer time. But this money is going to get out the door pretty quickly. And uh, uh, there's also going to be money for small business. The Treasury has to stand up a, a, a program to expedite uh, some of the funds for small businesses that uh, were not uh, getting previous rounds of uh, uh, relief checks. So this is something that is going to uh, roll out fairly quickly and have a significant effect on individual households and the overall economy. Do 
the politics matter, John, overwhelmingly popular with the American people when you look at surveys that are being done. And yet what we saw in the Senate and likely to see again today, Republican backing non-existent for this package, despite many of their constituents and their voters needing support. That's right. Uh, uh, The Republican Party has taken a posture of across the board opposition to Joe Biden. It resembles the posture they took uh, against uh, Barack Obama in 2009. It's a little bit different situation uh, now. There's a little bit less intensity to the uh, opposition because this pandemic has ravaged American life across the board. That is a different circumstance to the Great Recession and financial collapse when there was a lot of resentment against big corporations and Wall Street getting bailed out. Uh, This is a case where people understand $1,400 checks going into their bank accounts. So you're going to get a significant amount of Republican support. Uh, But the country is still polarized and the uh, Republican politicians in Washington reflect that polarization. So no Republican votes for this. And you can expect it's going to be a pitch battle on the next items uh, on the president's agenda, which will include big infrastructure and climate plans. I guess the question is, will it matter come voting time? And we shall see at the midterms. There's plenty of time till then. John Harwood, thank you so much for that. All right, rumours of the recovery rotation vastly over-exaggerated, at least where a tech sell-off is concerned. And tech turnaround is the name of the game. Paula Monica joins me now. Paul, great to have you with us. Just when we were talking about correction territory for the Nasdaq and for tech stocks. Oh, boy, what a bounce yesterday. Talk us through it. Yeah, so much for all the uh, worries about the fangs and Tesla losing some uh, luster. And obviously, I think, uh, you know, this is by no means over. We're going to see investors continue to focus on what's happening in the bond market. And we could have more rotation back into, quote unquote, value stocks. But yesterday, Julia, Tesla really ignited a rally. Its shares surging about 20 percent because the company announced really strong uh, demand in China. And that's news that also lifted two uh, big Chinese electric car companies, Neo and Xpeng as well. So I think there is this hope that the Chinese economy is recovering. That's good news for Tesla. But also keep in mind, uh, you know, this stimulus bill that President Biden is about to sign, it could eventually be inflationary. So we might still yet see bond yields pick back up and this uh, rotation into energy and uh, bank stocks continue. But yesterday, welcome news for just about anyone in the market because it was a broad market rally. Yeah, intrinsically tied. And I'm really happy that you um, that you made that point ultimately. And we keep talking about this. Investors are buying back into tech stocks or did so yesterday. But at the same time, we saw tamer bond deals as well. So it provided the the sort of leeway for people to gain confidence in order to be able to do that. But we've tried to break the market down into pandemic winners and pandemic losers. And and what we saw yesterday, Zoom up 10%, DocuSign up more than 10%, Peloton biking, get on your exercise bike up 14.5%. So some of these gains were pretty astonishing. I think all we can really promise at this stage is volatility. Into that volatility, comes a new player, a pandemic winner, Roblox. What do we need to know about Roblox? Yeah, I'm going to be fascinated to see what uh, this uh, kind of tween-focused gaming platform, my uh, 11-year-old uh, you know, uh, is a player, going to see whether or not this stock can do as well as some other recent IPOs 
and uh, SPAC transactions. Granted, this is a direct listing. It's more like what we saw from Palantir and Spotify and Slack. They're listing shares directly on the New York Stock Exchange. They're gonna be talking to their CEO later today. But the growth, basically because of these Robux that they sell, these in-game transaction currencies, is pretty dramatic. Sales were up more than 80% last year, and investors like to see that, but Roblox is still not profitable. Just explain to our viewers who may be listening going, um, Paul and Monica, always the best person with his children combined to talk about this kind of stock. What actually is Roblox? Yeah, it's interesting because it's not as apples to apples as video games that people would uh, play on their phone that are kind of like or or uh, you know a console that are uh, you know just a direct title if you will this is something that has a lot of user created and user generated worlds involved it is more of a platform as the company describes itself as opposed to a video game software company. So I think it's going to be interesting to see just this user generated content aspect you know, just how much legs uh, does this have? I mean, to, to be fair, the company said that they expect revenue to grow very dramatically again this year. So it continues to be popular, particularly with younger users. And let's face it, we're in a time right now where a lot of kids are still stuck at home, even when they uh, you know are supposed to be doing their schoolwork and they might be playing games on their phones, tablets and other devices. Yes, a game creation platform. I may have spoken in the last 24 hours to a user and they said, Julia, even you could create a game on this platform. I was like, wow, must be getting old. Yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of it. It's all about creating their own content. (laughs) Absolutely. Paula Monica, thank you so much for that. Now, speaking of age to infinity and beyond, well... 100 million at least. It's a numbers game. And that is the number of global subscribers to Disney's streaming service, Disney Plus, gained in just 16 months, fueled by hits like The Mandalorian and WandaVision. Brian Stelter joins us now. Brian, I'm yet to watch WandaVision, but I hear great things. I don't think we can underscore enough how monumental these gains are. Even for a brand like Disney, it took Netflix, what, 10 years to achieve this number of subscribers. And they've done it in what, just over a year. And now Disney is is racing down the road that Netflix paved. Uh, These numbers do exceed all of the expectations that Disney publicly announced. And, And frankly, I think even the private expectations of management, they keep raising the bar because they've been able to gain so many subscribers. This is in part due to the worldwide growth of Disney Plus Mm. in markets like India and Indonesia, uh, where Hotstar and other assets have been combined for this streaming venture. The issue though for Disney is as they grow around the world, they are lowering the average cost per user. So there are still some challenges for Disney ahead as it makes this pivot to streaming, but I do think they are showing the rest of the media world how it can be done. Disney stock near a 52 week high right now. And we're also seeing other new, um, other media companies that are trying to portray themselves to Wall Street as streaming pioneers, their stock's also booming, Viacom and Discovery. You know, these companies are all trying to now follow Disney's path. Of course, as we said, a path blazed by Netflix. Yeah, I mean, t- I mean, you raised so many great points there. I was tripping over myself to, um, to illustrate. I saw a stat back in November that said one quarter of all Disney Plus subscribers and one half of new subscribers are in India, India and Indonesia. So it gives you a sense to your point of that international growth that they're managing to achieve. And it weaves into everything else, how much content they're going to create and their ambitions there as well. Bob Iger, 
finally setting a date to leave. Does that mean that Disney's now perhaps looking at their operations, looking at the timing of the pandemic and recovery from the pandemic and saying, we have seen the worst and I'm willing to take a step back now? Formally, right. And now you're back. basically treated uh, yesterday's shareholder meeting as a farewell uh, yeah. as he continues to hand off to Bob Chapek. There are times where the, the old Bob, Bob Iger, has been intimately involved in the past year, but this handoff is underway. And it, it, re- it reminds you of what happened a year ago when Iger initially announced his plans. Everybody was confused about it. They, they wondered what was going to happen as this pandemic took hold around the world. Disney stock collapsed. The theme parks closed. And, and yet now the, the company has mounted this incredible turnaround thanks to streaming. You know, the parks are still only half online, Disneyland not open yet. This company still has has some real struggles for JPEG now to deal with. Uh, but thanks to Disney+, Plus, they're going to be able to invest even more money in content, make even more shows. So if you haven't watched WandaVision yet, you'll have time. It'll be on the platform. But they say they're going to try to have 100 titles a year. I think we are, we are rapidly reaching the point, Julia, where every single person is going to have a TV show just made for them. This is very exciting, Brian, and I love your enthusiasm. It's why, just one of the reasons why we have you on this show. Brian Stalter, great to have you with us. Thank you so much Thanks. for that. All right, let me bring you up to speed. Now, with some of the other stories that are making headlines around the world, Buckingham Palace breaking its silence on Harry and Meghan's explosive television interview with Oprah Winfrey. The palace issued a statement on behalf of Queen Elizabeth II. It says the whole family is saddened to learn the full extent of how challenging the last few years have been for the couple. The statement says the allegations of racism will be taken seriously and addressed privately. CNN is learning that Meghan Merkel lodged a formal complaint with the ITV network following Piers Morgan's on-air comments about her mental health. Oh boy, there's lots to cover with our royal correspondent Max Foster, and he joins us now from Windsor. Max, great to have you with us. Let's talk about that statement, I think, first, because people had been waiting, and the palace obviously took its time in response and wanted, I think, the Brits to see this interview as well and get a sense of what all the talk was about. Stand out for me the sadness, I think, the desire to talk about this now in privacy, but also the quote, while some recollections may vary. Yeah, so it was a, it was a grandmother, wasn't it? Speaking a great grandmother, but it was also a tough sort of boss of the firm as well. So mm. uh, she's disputing effectively some of um, Harry's recollections, particularly about the race conversations. But as you say, she wants to uh, make this a private conversation now. She wants the family to sort it out and not do it on the airwaves. Uh, so the Sussex office aren't now um, making any more comments about this. Um, I think that everyone on the palace side hopes that they can take this forward, start talking about it, and then resolve it, and then resolve some of the bigger sort of claims that have been made against the monarchy uh, now tarnished really by these claims of racism and uh, hypocrisy really about the way they've worked with mental health but didn't really consider the mental health implications of their senior members so uh, an awful lot for them to unpack at this point but I think that the, the ball is really in the Sussex's court if they go quiet now take this offline then I think that the palace feels that they can take this forward. Uh, But it really does depend on whether or not we hear anything more from the Sussexes. It seems for now that they're happy with the statement they've received from um, the Queen and they respect her, of course. They said that in the interview. Yeah, there will be people there saying, why couldn't Harry and Meghan have talked to them before? Why didn't they feel capable of having these conversations with the royal family and the need to go so public with the issues that they face and and how they've had to behave in light of that, how they feel they've had to behave? It kind of ties to the news that I mentioned with Meghan 
apparently going to ITV and, and putting in a complaint about the treatment and the criticism that she faced about all of these issues from, from Piers Morgan. What more do we know about that too? Well, there's history here, um, mm. not between them, but certainly um, Piers Morgan goes on regular tirades against um, Meghan, not just on his ITV show, but also on the Daily Mail website. Uh, so that, that's nothing new. I don't think, um, well, I'm being told that Meghan wasn't responding to the personal attacks that Piers made over the interview. What she's responding to is the, the suggestion that she was lying effectively or making up claims about her mental health. Uh, she's concerned about the impact that would have on others and uh, the impact it would have on the, how seriously people take mental health issues. So that was the basis of the complaint, as I understand it. There were tens of thousands of other complaints made to Ofcom, which is the British regulator, TV uh, regulator, broadcast regulator in this country. So um, how we match this all up isn't entirely clear. The process of events was, uh, Pierce said what he did, tens of thousands of complaints to Ofcom from viewers, Megan's complaint, Piers goes to the chief executive's office at ITV and then he resigns. So we're waiting for him to tie all of that up or for ITV to tie all of that up. The only thing we've heard from him since was this morning uh, when he spoke to the cameras gathered outside his home. He says this is about freedom of speech for him, not forget all the rest of it. He should be able to say what he wants and he's falling on his sword. Yes, and aside from all of that, anyone facing mental health issues must ask for help, should feel that they can ask for help and, and will be listened to. I think that's the underlying message from all of us. Max, great to have you with us. Thank you for the context there. Max Foster reporting from Windsor. All right, so to come, blockbuster sales for Lego as kids play at home. The CEO on creating toys for the online generation too. And lift off. For the dose delivering drones, we get an update on Zipline's contribution to the global vaccine rollout. That's all coming up. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move, live from New York, where the Nasdaq is on track to add to yesterday's big gains after the release of Tamer. Than expected U.S. inflation numbers, which is going to help keep bond yields in check. The buy on dip mentality seemingly alive and well after tech's recent weakness. Just take a look at some of the big gains we saw in popular tech names yesterday. Apple, Amazon up around 4%. Tesla spiking almost 20%, but still down 2% year to date. One thing's for certain, volatile volatility. That's what we're looking at. Has been Volatility has been pretty off the charts. The Nasdaq's had swings of 1.5% or more in each of the past five sessions amid the debate over which stock sector will have market dominance. Many believing that the massive new stimulus the U.S. Congress set to agree today with vaccine rollouts and economic reopenings can lift all boats. Joining us now, Dan Ives, the Managing Director of Equity Research at Wedbush Securities. Dan, great to have you with us. The pullback was fast and furious. The bounce back is looking almost the same. I'm sure you've been bombarded with questions from clients. What are you telling them, Dan? Look, it's a golden age for tech and EVs. So you know, we're sort of been pounding the table, buying these dips on the secular winners, the Apples, the Teslas, some of these software names like Microsoft. And I view it as a rotation white knuckle, but a golden buying opportunity for what I view as a multi-year full thesis in tech, which doesn't change with a 40-bit move on the 10-year. 
Interesting, Dan. I think one of the key counter arguments would be look at valuations. They've broken with underlying fundamentals. If you can assess them, their valuations are well above historical norms. I guess your argument is so are the growth opportunities. Well, you just nailed it. I mean, if I look back the last five years, 400 billion spent in terms of mm. called infrastructure technology upgrades. The next four years, two trillion. So, so the growth is four or five X. And that would be my argument is that valuations historical, of course, that continues to be a big emotional bull bear thesis. But that's why we're in a secular massive shift from some of these transformations around 5G, cloud, e-commerce, cybersecurity, which is why, in my opinion, you continue to be a green light to own tech. We think NASDAQ 16K this year, that's our target. Wow. So we're looking at what? 30% upside. Yeah, and, and that's why I've just viewed max. this pullback as just a massive buying opportunity, even though, of course, the rotation and 10-year fears have created this. You know, it's interesting. Um, and that makes sense to some degree if you look at a tripling of bond yields in isolation over the period of what one year, just over one year. What we have to come back to is remembering that it's half a percentage point increase in in bond yields. And is that enough to derail, as you said, a two trillion dollar growth opportunity over the next decade? There's going to be volatility, but does it completely knock us off kilter? Probably not. That's your argument. Or definitely not. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and, and, Julie, and Julie, even think about electric vehicles. I mean, we're talking $5 trillion that's going to be spent over the next decade. Of course, Tesla leading the charge, NEO and others. But this is what we're talking about, you know, one of the biggest transformations from an auto perspective that we've seen in the last 50 years. And, and of course, these stocks are going to ebbs and flows. But that's why right now it continues to be green light for Tesla for Neo XPing and even some of these battery plays like QuantumScape in, in terms of what's really going to be a transformation, not just in the U.S., but across really a green tidal wave around the globe. Yeah, I mean, the guess, again, the counter is competition concerns, the shorter term chip supply concerns, even valuation. We spoke to Fisker and Lucid and trying to put some perspective on current valuations is kind of impossible. It's head scratching. Even for me, when I look at the relative valuations of, of, of these stocks, how do you quantify value today when you're talking about a multi-year growth opportunity, Dan? It's, it is tough for investors to understand whether things are going to go up short term, medium term or, or down. Do you just buy these stocks and you just sit on them and don't look at them every day? Well, I, you know, I think it's a quagmire for investors because yeah, just like you said, from a valuation perspective, continues to be a head scratcher. But then you look out the way we do and how we handhold investors, you look out in the next three to four years, who are the secular winners? Start to put some goalposts around what numbers could look like as we get into more massive adoption and, and what's the cash flow, what's the earnings power. And when we do that, you know, you look at some of these names. Today, it's 3% adoption globally for EVs. We think that goes to 10% next three years. It's playing the OEMs, like a Tesla and Neo, but also you want to play the whole supply chain across EV and from batteries to the recycling batteries to the power supplies. And that's why, especially in the US, we see a Biden-driven green tidal wave on the horizon. So 
very quickly, and I don't want to steal all your intellectual property, but what stocks are you putting investors into today? If you can name some names for, for our viewers, what are you putting investors into today? Or what are they already in? Yeah, in the, from a China EV, Neo and Xping, I think those are the, the best pure plays. Tesla right now in EV, it's, it's Tesla's world. Everyone else is paying rent. Look at QuantumScape on the battery side. Love that name. And then Fisker, I, I think that's as a potential real startup pure play that could be successful on EVs. And an oldie but goodie. I think GM gets re-rated on, on its EV ambitions. I think that's really a renaissance of growth happened in Detroit with Mary leading the charge over there. And on the software side, just in general tech? Software, we love Microsoft as cloud, cybersecurity names like Zscale or Palo Alto, and then on core cloud names like DocuSign as well. That stock's been massively sold off. You know, love those in terms of just the cloud cybersecurity transformation that's happened. That's why you said it's sometimes the red screens, it's easy to, to get nervous. I think it's forest through the trees in terms of where we see tech. Fantastic. Dan, bye on dips. Ives, great to have you on Thank the you. show. The Managing Director Thanks. of Equity Research at Wedbush Securities. Great to have you on. The market opens next. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move and U.S. stocks are up and running this Wednesday. And as expected, we are looking at a higher Wall Street open. The Dow back in record territory once again. The Nasdaq looking to build on that 3.6% gain yesterday. Wow, we're already up 1.3% there. Investors applauding that tame consumer inflation data from the United States. Particularly good news for rate-sensitive tech sector stocks. The rally also about a vote of confidence, I think, in the U.S. economic recovery, too. We are monitoring action in the U.S. House of Representatives, set to take its final vote on that $1.9 trillion emergency aid bill later today. Two hours of debate on the measure getting underway this hour. Final passage, though, not in question, as we've discussed. It's a historic day nonetheless, one of the largest spending measures in U.S. history. Okay, Lego sales surged more than 20% last year. Call it the play-at-home effect of the pandemic. Lockdown life, not the full story, however. New toys that straddle the online-offline world also boosted sales, as did the company's success in newer markets like China. Joining us now, Niels Christensen, the CEO of Lego Group. Sir, fantastic to have you on the show. It was clearly a tough year, I think, for many businesses with retail shutdowns, sporadic manufacturing site closures. I think you must be incredibly pleased with these results. Yeah, thank you. I am very, very pleased. Also, mm. also pleased by the fact, as you say, that, uh, that we've gotten our Lego sets and play experiences to many more kids around the globe. And we've done that on the back of seeing the payoffs of some of the long-term investments we've been doing over the years. So, uh, so what I'll just say for... For our organization and for all our employees across the globe, it's been a very tough year dealing with all the disruptions and challenges that you just talked to. And uh, I'm, I'm actually very, very grateful of the efforts that have been put in by, by everybody on that. Yeah, I think the smile says it all. You're, you're proud of your, um, your team members and uh, your employees and colleagues. Is a 21% jump in sales sustainable, do you think? Or do we have to acknowledge that perhaps you will see less growth over the next year? Yeah, I, I think uh, don't expect another 21% on top. But I do think we can actually grow on top. So I don't think it's a, the sense that we had one good year and then we can't continue the momentum. We believe that we can continue actually into 2021 outpacing the, the industry, taking market share as we have done consistently over the last three years. 
I don't think that will lead to 21% growth, but it probably will lead to to a good one-digit uh, growth ahead of the market, and and that I think would be really strong on top of this uh, this excellent year. Yeah, it's a vote of confidence, certainly. The number of visits to Lego.com in 2020 was double what we saw in, in 2019. We saw one piece of the story here. Again, it comes back to, to what's sustainable. Do you think some of that demand that you saw for e-commerce dissipates when we get to a post-pandemic environment? Because I can see that you're recruiting in for digital and, and tech team members. So you clearly believe this strength could continue. Can it be as strong? It it is a good question, but I think what we have seen and what you're also talking to is the fact that some of the trends that we have seen come over the last two or three years, one of them being the shift towards e-commerce, has actually been accelerated here uh, through the pandemic. So it's not a new trend. It just happened faster. As all all stores closed down, consumers migrated very quickly uh, on e-com and the investments we've made actually allowed us, as you say here, to to cope with that, uh, that great increase in visitors and actually providing them with a good digital experience. I think many of those consumers had a pretty good experience with what they did and they really like it. And I think we have recruited into the brand and get very strong feedback also on their experience. So it would be my hope and my expectation that we can that we can keep on having these people in the brand and thrill them with experiences also in 2021. So I do believe that we can that we can sustain a lot of that. And when stores open, of course, we'll start to see more traffic in stores. We actually see queues outside stores often when we reopen because our <laughs> fans have been so much wishing to get into stores and get into the Lego universe and be be immersed into the, the brand like uh, like very few brands uh, have it. So, so stores play a vital role for us as well on that brand experience. And I do think that between the shifts we have seen, the good experiences and stores reopening, that we will uh, we will be able to sustain a good momentum, albeit not at at twenty one percent again. I think. You know, it's fascinating. We were just showing some some pictures there, and Super Mario, I know, was a huge um, element of of the success over the past year, the collaboration with Nintendo. But we were also just showing these enormous dinosaurs, which. It's just phenomenal to think that, that people have built those, um, quite frankly. But it's not just about bricks. It's about, you know, as we've mentioned, video games, movies, cartoons, the, the, the Lego amusement parks as well. And China. Just explain yeah. to us the growth that you're seeing in China. And for those of us, I think, that grew up with Lego, so we understand the concept and we know what this means. What is it that's capturing the imagination of, of people in China with Lego? Yeah, it's no, it's it's super it's super exciting because we've been on a very good journey with strong double-digit growth for quite a while now in China. And as the base increases, of course, it gets more difficult to sustain that. And we did sustain that again in uh, in 2021. And as you're saying, like in 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 uh, in the US, in Western Europe, I mean, I played with Lego as a child, uh, Lego bricks as a child. So so of course now I will. Uh, um, when I got parents or when I got children, they actually were playing with Lego bricks and I was a good ambassador. In China, that's not the case. There are many parts of China where the Lego brand is not that well known and at least the parents have never t- uh, played with uh, w- uh, with Lego uh, bricks when they were kids. So we have to build the brand. Uh, and, uh, and one of the things that we've done quite successfully in 2021 was actually getting into new cities, these tier three and tier four cities mm. that are not that large by Chinese standards, but are very large by by any other Western standards in terms of population. We're getting in there and we see when we go in and we have brand campaigns and we have uh, 
we have uh, access on, on e-commerce, whatever, the store in the city that allows kids and families to get in and get their hands on bricks and try it out and and see everything in there, that is brand building. And that is uh, that is giving a huge lift to when we when we um, when we build the brand. So it's a, it's a really exciting story. And I think it does show the coexistence that we need of e-commerce, digital experiences, platforms where people can really go on and then in creating this physical brand experience where the stores are so crucial. Yeah, and bringing people together and getting them away from screens to a certain extent as well. I distinctly remember one Christmas where I got a Lego car and my sister got a My Little Pony. No offence, My Little Pony, but I was very grateful for my for my Lego car. <laughs> Niels, I have about 30 seconds, not that I'm biased. Um, yeah. We have about 30 seconds. Sustainability. I know you were trying paper bags because packaging, never mind plastic bricks, and, and your sustainable, sustainability push is also very important yeah. to you. How's that trial going? No, trial is going is going well, and it's really important mm. for us that we that we get out of single-use plastic because there is a difference between the single-use plastic and the durable plastic in the bricks. And we've set ourselves the ambition that by 2025 we will be totally sustainable on all our packaging. And I hope we could do it a little bit before. So, uh, so the, the trials are going really well, and then we are on track to really make all the investment it takes to change our our manufacturing setup to really be sustainable within the time limits we set ourselves. Yeah, and I was just showing your headlines there because um, that makes a great read. So um, I advise people to go and have a look at that because you're doing lots of things. Niels, great to chat to you. Thank you. Niels Christensen there, the CEO of Lego Group. All right, coming up on First Move, drone delivery of COVID-19 vaccines in Africa. It's worth noting that this is going to be the first ever drone delivery of COVID-19 vaccines in the world, actually. A lifeline from the sky for remote communities. The founder and CEO of Zipline. Next. Welcome back to First Move. Now, this show has been tracking the progress of the delivery firm Zipline, which uses drones to bring medical supplies to hard-to-reach towns in Ghana. Well, now the company is working with UPS and the government to deliver COVID vaccines the same way. Their drones, which look like small planes, have already dropped 4,500 doses in southern Ghana by parachute. The drugs are insulated but don't need to be cold stored because of the sheer speed of the operation. It's hoped 2.5 million doses will be distributed the same way. Keller Ronaldo is Zipline's co-founder and CEO and joins us once again. Keller, great to have you on the show. I feel like the last few years have made you so ready for this moment and able to get these vaccines to hard to reach places. Just talk us through how it's all going. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, we're really lucky in that we've now had five years of experience operating at national scale, delivering other similar kinds of products, including traditional vaccines. Um, so we really see, you know, as, as this pandemic has move through these different stages. Today, obviously, we've made great progress on development of the vaccine, manufacturing of the vaccine. Now the challenge is distribution. And almost every country in the world is trying to figure out how to do distribution safely, rapidly, and most importantly, equitably. But the challenge is because the vaccine has has uh, cold chain requirements, in a lot of countries, there it's not clear how it's gonna be possible to make sure that people who live in rural areas are gonna get the same level of access as people who live in cities. This is really, really important for every country on earth. And this is fundamentally the problem that Zipline is making it possible to solve. 
Yeah, I mean, there's so many problems being solved here. I believe half the population in Ghana don't live in the big city. So it's how do you distribute the vaccines to those places? And we mentioned it, but to your point, again, you do this so quickly with these drones and you parachute the supplies in that once they leave the cold storage in the warehouse, you don't need the cold storage because you get the vaccines to people in these places, to the healthcare facilities really quickly. Yeah, it's a it's a fundamental re- reimagination of how healthcare supply chains work. Because before we used to use a really big heavy truck to make a delivery of goods every week or every month. Now you actually have thousands of hospitals and health facilities getting deliveries every day or even multiple times a day. So this actually totally changes the way that health systems can plan and treat and vaccinate patients when they don't have to plan ahead and they can get just the right amount that they need in any given hour. And just to be clear, the, there is an app, a Zipline app, and the doctors put in their requests for what they need. You get that message and then you parachute the supplies in. Yeah, I mean, to, to, to be really, you know, to make it simple, we, we have distribution centers across the country that allow us to reach almost every hospital and health facility nationally. And we do this in Rwanda, Ghana, and now the United States today. Um, Ghana is where we've just last week begun delivering COVID-19 vaccine, although we we hope and expect to be doing that in many countries over the coming months. Um, And it's super simple. When a doctor or nurse needs a product, they can essentially push a button on a phone uh, and then the delivery will instantly be done to those to that GPS coordinates. Um, We use a small autonomous vehicle that's fully electric. It flies from our distribution center to that GPS coordinate, delivers a package from about 30 feet up. We use a simple paper parachute that uh, isn't that different than, you know, the packaging you'd get in an Amazon package. Um, And then that doctor and nurse immediately has what they need to treat a patient, in this case, what they need to vaccinate the patient. Have you ever lost a drone or lost a package or had a situation where weather perhaps interfered? You know, on weather, it's not enough to say that we will, you know, treat patients or patients can depend on us with their lives when the weather's good. Yeah. Uh, for a system that can operate at national scale, integrated with a, with a national healthcare system, you have to be able to operate all the time. And so Zipline has actually spent the last five years um, developing technology and flight control algorithms and um, the hardware necessary to be able to fly through extreme wind, extreme rain, crazy storms. Um, we have to, there are 25 million people who depend on us with their lives and the lives of their kids today. So we always have to be there with, for them, no matter what the weather is doing. Um, yeah. Zipline has never lost a vehicle. We have, we build safety systems into everything that we do so that even if a vehicle for, for technical reasons can't make it back to a distribution center, it can bring itself safely to the ground uh, and we can go basically pick it up and have it ready to deliver um, a couple hours later. Yeah, I mean, you're working with the government and you've long been working with the government in Ghana. And as you said, in the United States, in Rwanda, you hinted at expansion plans a couple of minutes ago. Tell me what you can about expansion plans, because clearly there's governments, there's regulators involved when when we're talking about drones. How quickly can you ramp up and where are you looking? Well, obviously, the countries where Zipline already operates, Rwanda and Ghana, um, are are you know, top of mind. Uh, the reality is that almost every state government, federal government, and uh, private healthcare system that we talk to is trying to solve this same problem, which is how do we make sure that, you know, people who live in rural areas are not going to be left behind? And these are typically vulnerable populations in any country. 
These are populations who might live in pharmacy deserts, so areas where you're not within 30 minutes of a pharmacy where you can easily get this kind of a medical product. Um, and so, you know, the demand is extremely high. And we also look in when you're facing an unprecedented challenge, we also need unprecedented technology to solve it. The great news is that this technology is ready to serve. It is tested over the last five years. We know it can operate at national scale. In many countries, the infrastructure is already built, just relying on health systems and governments pushing the on button. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating to watch you work. Thank you to you and your team. It's brilliant problems being solved here. Brilliant solutions to tough problems. Carla Renato, great you, to have yeah. you on the show once again. We'll talk soon. Zipline's co-founder and CEO there. All right, you're watching First Move. More to come. Stay with us. It may be 2021, but Dubai's Expo 2020 set to open in October after a one-year pandemic delay. In today's Road to Expo, John Defterius takes you on a tour of the city's new intelligent traffic system. With clear, concise messages, the signs that direct Dubai's millions of drivers look simple. But the place that manages these alerts is one of the world's most advanced traffic control centers. The uniqueness of this building and this, uh, the system itself is like we customized the platform, which we called it iTraffic, Intelligent Traffic, to, to fit the, the need of Dubai. From roads to rails, Dubai is spending over $6.8 billion on infrastructure in preparation for the COVID-19 postponed Expo 2020. With tens of millions of visitors expected to attend, transit officials hope to make travel as easy as possible. Expo is one of the event, major events that will affect not only Expo area, it will affect even the whole city. To ensure smooth journeys, the Intelligent Traffic Systems Center opened in November. Here, about 60 employees monitor 60% of the city's roads. A network of 245 ITS traffic cameras feed back information to artificial intelligence software, which help engineers respond to traffic incidents in real time. The project is uh, one of the main goals to safe and, uh, and sustainable transport. Cars, however, won't be the only option for Expo attendees. We believe that more than 29% of the visitors daily will use Dubai Metro to reach Expo site. Anticipating this ridership, Dubai built an entirely new metro line, fittingly called Route 2020. In 2016, construction began on seven stations, which today house smart gates, wider platforms, and bigger trains. Currently on our Dubai Metro red and green line, uh, more than 800,000 passenger capacity in the network. Uh, Route 2020 will add to that by more than 250,000 passengers every day. Expo 2020 will only last six months, but transit leaders believe this infrastructure will serve Dubai for decades to come. This line will stay active because uh, it will uh, be used by so many passengers who are living uh, on the areas around the stations. 
the scope of Expo is one of the scope that we really uh, planned for. And not only that one, we are also uh, ready for Beyond Expo with the coverage that we're planning for. That planned coverage includes monitoring 100% of Dubai's roads by 2023, meaning messages like these will long outlast a single event. John Defterias, CNN, Dubai. All right, that was John Defterius there. One final look at the markets as we wrap up the show. The majors holding on to early session gains. Tech well and truly leading the advance. As you can see, the Nasdaq up around one and a half percent. That's up now around five percent over the past two days. Key to watch, though, today. Investors are hoping that a key auction of 10-year treasuries goes smoothly as the auctions yesterday and does not lead to a rise in yields. Remember, the market, stock market investors very sensitive to bond yields at this moment. In trading today, the energy and the consumer-driven sectors are the best gainers. So it's broad-based gains in the session, at least for now. But watch those auctions. And that's it for the show. If you've missed any of our interviews today, they will be on my Twitter and Instagram pages. Search for at CNN. And in the meantime, stay safe. Connect the world with Becky Anderson is next. And we'll be back tomorrow. Have a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.